Thank you, Kurt. Uh, is there a clicker? Oh, right behind me. Awesome. Right on cue. Uh, good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Kevin. Uh, hi, Kevin. Hi. Peter knows me. Um, so I'm going to give you a fair warning. This is my first time preaching at Mountainside. Uh, there are... Ooh. All right. I've already got the crowd. Good. Uh, so... Uh, a lot of the pastors and teachers at Mountainside somehow hold their entire sermon in their heads, and they like to bring nothing up with them and wander around the space the whole time. Uh, that is not going to happen today. I have a manuscript, and this is my space right here. You'll be lucky if my hands move in any direction. Um, yeah. Ooh, all right. Buckle up. This is going to be... Contained. Uh, <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, uh, a few weeks ago when I started really preparing for this sermon, I was having a, a really hard week. Um, some of you know I work in homeless services in Hollywood, uh, specifically around engagement, getting to know people, building community. And in a matter of two days, uh, we lost two people uh, who I've known since my first week of working there. Uh, who were pillars in our community, who I saw nearly every day for three years. And on top of that, the same week, uh, three other people who we had helped get off the streets and into housing uh, fell out of that housing and went back onto the streets. And so I had a lot of reason to despair that week. Uh, and then, of course, I opened this passage uh, and was honestly a little shocked by it, maybe, maybe a little bit put off. Um, as a person, I already have a hard time accessing the Psalms. Uh, there's something about the repetition of them and the really expressive emotion. It doesn't really connect with who I am or how I like to talk or how I maybe even think. Um, maybe I'm the only one, or I thought I was. I at least me and Kurt connected on that beforehand. Uh, but I'm really grateful that I had to kind of contend with this psalm for today because I was able to unlock something, I think, that helped me understand this psalm and also appreciate a lot of the other psalms. And it comes down to a really, really simple question that I want to ask to all of you. Uh, why do you repeat things? <laughs> Good one. We did not plan that. <laughs> Next time, let's really rehearse, get, get this, get the timing really down. Uh, I know it's a super basic question, hang with me, uh, but anyone, why, what's a reason that you repeat something? To remember, to remember. yeah. What's that? Yeah, because it's not being heard, yeah. Emphasize, Emphasize. yeah. It's enjoyable. <laughs> okay, oh, I see. Yeah, I think I more specifically meant repeat things like words, but that's, that's a great point. Yeah, thank you. Ooh. We didn't plan that either, but that's right where I'm going. Good job. Uh, yeah, anyone in here familiar with a mantra? What a mantra? Can anyone just want to jump in and explain what a mantra is? No one? Okay. A lot of people just said they knew. I'm calling your bluff. Mm -hmm. 
something that's really personal, right? Something you repeat to yourself. I know there's some people who have mantras and one of the principles is that you don't share it with anyone, it's just for you. Uh, there are even now mantra bands. Have you guys seen these? Uh, you wear them on your wrist. You usually just wear one. I think this is for the company trying to sell them. Uh, but they're, you wear them on your wrist to remind you of something that you already value, right? Uh, but that you're trying to remember, you're trying to remind yourself of. Uh, so I imagine the person, there's one down there that says choose joy. The person that wears that one probably isn't a person who doesn't think that joy is valuable, right? You wear that because that's a truth that you already believe, but then you wear it on your wrist so that you have a constant reminder because even if it's already in your heart and something you believe, this allows you to remember it in the moments where maybe it's hard to believe. I think that sometimes we need to be reminded that something we believe is still true because sometimes they're hard things to believe. And so for me, this opens up the world of the Psalms uh, because I suspect that a lot of the Psalms that are written, and especially this one, are written by and for people who are actually struggling to believe them. And so even as they write them and perform them and sing them, uh, they are actually an act of remembering, an act of reminding. And so the praise Psalms become not just this outpouring of Yes, this is how I always feel about God or the moments, the Psalms that are more of a lament. This is not how I always feel, but this is a reminder that this is a feeling that I have and that maybe when I'm not feeling it, it's still true. So with that, I want to dig into Psalm 37. Uh, the first four verses kind of function as the, the main point, the thesis statement. It says, do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like the noonday. And so with this idea of remembering in mind, it's maybe not a stretch to say that when the psalmist starts out saying, don't fret because of the wicked, it's probably because a lot of people, including the psalmist, the writer David, uh, was probably struggling to not fret because of the wicked. And so on my first several times reading through this and preparing, I just kept thinking, don't fret because of the wicked? Like, have you seen the news? <laughs> We have children who are seeking asylum in cages. Don't fret over the wicked. Try coming to work with me and seeing all the people who have to sleep outside because people would rather make extra money off of rent than to give our oldest and our sickest a place to sleep. Don't fret, really? And so I kept reading the psalm and thinking, that's easy for you to say. Uh, but then I think I finally realized that it probably wasn't. Uh, and as bad as everything feels right now, we are probably not the first people to look at the world around us and think this is as bad as it gets. Uh, and so the psalmist must have been in a place like this himself to need to write it and repeat it so many times that those who are good eventually win, that those who do evil don't. He must have seen so much evil winning around him to need to say that. And I think we do too. 
And so in the midst of that, I think we're offered some wisdom in this psalm um, by David, who's probably seen a lot in his lifetime. So Psalm 37 belongs to a very small category of psalms. It's called the wisdom psalms. There's really only about seven of them. Uh, And that they seem to be really reminiscent of the book of Proverbs uh, that offer this very bird's eye view of morality in the world. They tend to say, do good because in the end, good wins and evil perishes. So the book of Proverbs often implies that if you do good, God will bless you and If you do evil, God will curse you. And Proverbs operates in this wisdom tradition that's like the larger trajectory of wisdom, the kind of wisdom you use when you're thinking about the long game. Even when it doesn't feel like it, the universe is bending toward God's justice. And even when evil wins a battle, we're promised that it's losing the war. Jesus was killed by the forces of evil and then resurrected to prove this point once and for all, right? The evil doesn't get the last word. Amen? Amen. But this is only one strand of the wisdom tradition. We also have Ecclesiastes. It's the kind of wisdom that comes when you realize that so much of what happens in this life doesn't really make sense. And that you can't look at the world around you and read the newspaper and try to tie it up with some tidy Proverbs bow. So we have Ecclesiastes, and then we have Job, which is a wisdom book as well, where everything bad imaginable happens to a good person, right? which is not what Proverbs seems to say. And then we have Lamentations, which is just this book of utter anguish. And so the, all of the wisdom books of the Bible, when you put them together, they offer all of these different perspectives on how to see the world and how to live in the world when the world feels unjust. And they offer all of these different ideas because a lot of time it's just not right or fair to look at something that's awful that's happened and say, you know what, in the end, it's all, it's all going to work out. Because on the personal and individual level, it doesn't always. And yet, I think that it's really tempting also to ignore the wisdom that we have here in this psalm. There is space for lament and for despair and for protest. But I also think that there's a place for this particular kind of wisdom, the wisdom that sees the longer trajectory of the world and moves in hope and not just response. In fact, I think we'll need it to save us from despair because it's so tempting to despair right now. And there's more than one way to fight off despair. I think here at Mountainside, we're really, really good at doing the kind of work that opposes injustice and counteracts evil. And some of us do it explicitly for a living. Some of us have found ways to look at our careers and bend them and mold them into that kind of work. And so many of you, I see you spending your off hours volunteering at IRC events or the homeless count. Uh, I really believe and am proud of the fact that we're a church who's deeply connected and committed to the work that opposes injustice. And it's such imperative work and it's really holy work And please, please don't hear me say this morning that we need to rethink any of that. You will never hear me say that. Uh, But this psalm and the wisdom tradition that it represents, I think, offers us a warning about the consequences of keeping our focus too narrow and too limited. Verses 7 through 9 say, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. 
Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. And so the psalm paints this picture of what can happen if we remain so focused only on the injustice and opposing it to the point that we're always angry. Uh, It can lead exactly to the same withering away that happens to evil itself. Uh, Anyone experienced that in the last couple years? Uh, Anyone ever have to apologize for something that they said or typed furiously on Facebook when they got really fired up by a justice issue and forgot that whole like peace of Christ part of it. Um, I'm sure I'm definitely the only one. I'm willing to bear that this morning. Uh, it can happen in those small little moments, right? Uh, but it can also happen over a longer period of time. And it seems like the writer David here knows that that what that leads to from experience, probably. And so the psalm is a reminder that evil doesn't win over time. And so anger that lasts and that leads to bitterness actually has no place in the world that's being redeemed by Christ, right? It's actually headed in the opposite direction. So how can we oppose injustice and work in the midst of so much pain and suffering and not become bitter or angry or fall into despair? I don't know. Uh, I really don't. Uh, If anyone has figured that out, please DM me. Um, I need to know. Uh, I I don't think that we get that tidy or neat of an answer here in this psalm or anywhere else. Uh, But I do think we get a little bit of an inkling or maybe a couple hints along the way. Uh, There's little hints that I think broaden our sense of enacting justice uh, that are at least helping me through some of these difficult days. Uh, So there's a few verses that I snagged. Uh, Verse 16 says, Better is a little that the righteous person has than the abundance of many wicked. Uh, Verse 21 says, The wicked borrow and do not pay back, but the righteous are generous and keep giving. And then verse 25 says, I've been young and am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are ever giving liberally and lending, and their children become a blessing. Depart from evil and do good, so that you shall abide forever. And what stood out to me in these particular verses is that injustice here is named, but then it's responded to in a really fresh way. Uh, in verse 16, the righteous have little, and the wicked have an abundance, but the verse doesn't then go on to say, Therefore, we fight for a redistribution of the resources to close the wealth gap, right? Uh, The next verse, verse 21, doesn't say that the wicked borrow and don't pay back, so the righteous protest the system of predatory lending, right? Uh, No, it says that the righteous are generous and they keep giving. They never stop giving. And finally, verse 25 talks about how the children of the righteous are never hungry for bread because they are so generous in their giving. The response to injustice here isn't opposing it, it's enacting justice. And so again, please don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with protesting predatory lending or trying to close the wealth gap. Uh, Remember, the Bible offers a lot of different strands of wisdom. But I think this kind of wisdom so often gets ignored because it doesn't seem to offer any practical advice about what to do in an unjust world. 
but I think that these bits of wisdom here actually do. They offer us another way to look at doing justice that is both refreshing and energizing and, and that live into the way that the world is headed and the world is bending toward God's justice. And of course, I think it all goes back to Micah 6, 8, because it has to, right? Yeah, the mantra, there you go. So when Micah 6, 8 says, do justice, uh, I think it's easy for us to read that only as oppose injustice. Uh, because just like the writer of the psalm, we seem to be always drowning in a sea of injustice. But this phrasing, do justice, uh, it carries this positive, active connotation to it uh, that I think the psalmist here is also getting at. I think that to do justice in this psalm is not simply to oppose predatory lending and borrowing, but it's also to give generously. To do justice is not only to fight for the rights of the immigrant and those experiencing homelessness. I think it's also to hold a home and a church and a community so tightly with love that no one can slip through the cracks. Um, I can't tell you how many of the people I know who were living on the streets once had some kind of community that maybe it was a family or a church or some group that, that eventually did let them go. And I don't say that to, to shame them or to stand up here and act this morning like I know what it's like to have to put boundaries around someone that you love. Uh, but I say it simply to say that we all know and agree that the world isn't supposed to be that way and that people are not supposed to be discarded. And so every act of joy, every celebration, every time we love someone or forgive someone in our communities, I really think that we're holding back that darkness. And lastly, I think that to do justice is not just to feed the hungry, uh, but it's also to set a table for those we love and those who we're learning to love and breaking bread with laughter and joy and celebration. Uh, and I'm so fortunate and blessed this morning that the world's best sermon illustration for this is happening right after the service is over. Uh, our sister church, uh, Cristo es Nuestra Roca, uh, wants to have us for lunch. Uh, they have invited us and want to break bread with us. And uh, as a Spanish-speaking congregation, they have a lot of reason to despair right now, maybe even more than we do. Uh, and their response to that is to sit and eat with us. Um, that's so perfectly in tune with this psalm. And for me, the best part about this psalm and the wisdom that it offers is that it, it's not more for us to do. Um, so often we feel like we just have to keep doing more to fight injustice, but this is just a new way of looking at what we're already doing. Instead of thinking only of the difficult, hard work of fighting injustice at our workplaces or here at Mountainside, we're invited by this psalm to actually consider that every moment of joy, togetherness, and even self-care is actually the good work of enacting justice, of practicing living in the world the way that it's supposed to be and the way that it's one day going to be. And so to bring this back to a few weeks ago when everything at work was really, really heavy, uh, I actually got to experience a little bit of what the psalm is talking about, although I didn't quite know it yet. Uh, in the middle of that week, I came home from work and I was not ready to talk about my day yet. Uh, a lot of times when I come home, I'm, I'm just not quite there. 
I didn't want to tell Naomi about it just yet. I wanted to just sit in it for a while. Uh, but this time, with the heaviness of the week, I just had this strong urge to, like, get to work. Like, if I somehow just worked a little harder or a little longer and pushed myself more, that I could prevent this kind of stuff from happening. Uh, and so I just sat in that for a while, feeling stress, and I ate dinner really quickly, and then I went to a coffee shop to try to, like, work, get something done. Uh, and I found myself just stuck in this place of, anger and inability. I couldn't actually do anything, and so then I felt shame about the fact that I couldn't do anything. Uh, and that was just a spiral, right, that was leading to despair. Uh, and the thing that pulled me out of it was that I realized that I, I hadn't meant to never tell Naomi about my day. Uh, I didn't want to at first, but I did have in mind, okay, I am gonna talk about this at some point. And then I was sitting at that coffee shop realizing that I was so caught up with the idea that I just needed to like work and fight and push uh, that I forgot to connect. And so I went home and uh, I told Naomi about my day. And despite all of her great intelligence and wisdom, uh, it didn't fix everything, right? It didn't make everything okay, um, but we connected and I didn't feel alone. And so then later that week, uh, we held two memorial services, uh, one for Jonathan, uh, he's the one on the left, where uh, we all kind of talked about how he was kind of a jerk, <laughs> and he said uh, really mean things to us all the time, but we still loved him, uh, and we got to share some of our funniest stories of the meanest things that he said to us, and it was almost like a little bit of a contest. Uh, and then for Ed, we sang Neil Young songs and we remembered stories that he told us about all these celebrities he'd met and all these places that he'd traveled that probably like half of them weren't even true. Uh, but they helped us remember this guy who, uh, he always seemed to be a wanderer and an adventurer, even if just at heart. And so those little moments connecting about my day and remembering and laughing about a mean person and singing songs, those are what saved me from despair, not the work. And I think that Psalm 37 wants to teach us that all of those little moments are as crucial to living in a world of injustice as the work we do at the IRC or the work that we do at the center or anywhere else where we're actively fighting injustice. We also get to practice living in the world the way that God is remaking it to be through Christ with our friends and our neighbors and our enemies and our friends. Uh, I'm really excited to get to uh, preside over this meal. I think this meal is the perfect example of uh, an opportunity to enact justice. Um, it was at this meal that Jesus invited his friends and the person who was going to betray him um, to eat, to break his body, to drink of his blood, um, this bread, this normal, mundane thing that uh, sometimes someone here spends a whole weekend slowly preparing, or sometimes Peter, in a panic, picks up from Trader Joe's on the way in. Uh, that bread uh, <laughs> is a gift. It's joy. It's justice. Um, and Jesus reminds that every time we eat together, uh, 
to remember this, to break bread together, to enact justice, to practice God's justice uh, in these normal moments. This is a sacrament of justice in a moment that we least expect it. Uh, these are the gifts of God for the people of God.